You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I am joined this week by my co-host, Alex Varallo, who, as you know, was uh, was was uh, had some alternative plans the other night when the Jamal Adams trade went down. So, unfortunately, we didn't get to uh, to hear Alex's thoughts on the deal. I mean, it's it's been talked about by Jets fans, football fans across the league. Uh, former players who, uh, boy, it's a good time to pile on the Jets. Uh, a lot of, lot of, I won't say misinformed opinions, but a lot of just, just, the Jets are just kind of an easy target sometimes, and this is one of those times. But uh, what do you think, Alex? We didn't get your opinion the other night. What are your thoughts on the deal? Uh, so I guess the way uh, I should phrase this, and, and I'm quoting somebody else that I saw the other day, it said, this team is always about hopes and dreams for the future, but it's never in the here and now. And, uh, you know, just we're back into one of these scenarios again where uh, one of our premium first-round picks are have been dealt and, uh, you know, they won't be, uh, you know, finishing their career out possibly as a Jet. So uh, it sucks, I kind of feel. Um, you know me. I was a huge Jamal Adams fan. Um, I really wanted to see – some sort of way that they would work this out. Um, but leading up to the trade, uh, Jamal burned every bridge that was standing um, between him and, and the Jets organization. So, um, you know, and, and I said earlier, uh, back when this whole thing was going on, if he doesn't want to be here, then uh, we can't have somebody in the locker room um, that has that negative mentality because that can carry over and upset people. And that can, uh, you know, just be detrimental to the culture and things like that. So it hurts to lose a player that, you know, is one of the top defenders in the league. Um, you know, when you usually you hit on a player like that in the draft, you, you try to hold on to him because I think, you know, you want your draft picks, your first round and second round draft picks to kind of, you know, hit their ceiling as quickly as Jamal Adams did. That's the whole idea behind, you know, putting in the research and, and grabbing these guys. So, you know, we, we hit a home run with him, uh, but unfortunately, um, you know, from October last year with the trade deadline fiasco, um, that carried a lot of weight, and that tarnished relationship uh, could not be, uh, you know, put back together. Um, so, you know, Jamal's uh, on the Seattle Seahawks now, and uh, we're going forward. Um you know, from things that I've heard over the last few days, uh, this kid, McDoug- um, is it, uh, McDougal, um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, apparently, uh, you know, a lot of people feel that he could be a starter um, for a lot of other teams in, in this league. And, you know, he doesn't have the, uh, you know, crazy talent and athletic skills possibly as a Jamal Adams, but uh, it seems like, we were we are going to be able to possibly fill that position, you know, right away. And uh, as far as compensation is concerned, 
Uh, I think the trade um, definitely favors the Jets. Um, you're getting three premium picks and two ones and a three. Uh, that's pretty great. And, and then having a player that possibly you can just plug right in. Obviously, um, the Jets did really well with that trade. So uh, bittersweet. Um, sucks to see Jamal go. But, again, you don't want to be here. That's fine. You can go elsewhere. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll uh, be able to uh, – upset the Seattle Seahawks come, come week 14, uh, you know, when we play them. I don't know if we're playing them in our house or in theirs. i got to check the schedule on that. But, you know, we loved you as a uh, player on this team, but, you know, now you're an enemy of the state. Uh, and so that's just kind of how it's going to go. Yeah. It, I, I, think it's, I think it's in Seattle, but I'm not 100% sure about that. I don't have that in front of me either. But um, – yeah, I don't. Uh, as as I said, I've seen I've seen quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of negative commentary from the press on this, from the Jets, or you know about the Jets. A lot of it to me is stuff that is either sort of half truth or just just blatantly obvious, or or stuff that doesn't really apply, you know, solely to the Jets. Um, you know, what was it I saw earlier? Um, Rodney Harrison saying, oh, well, you know, now nobody, now teams aren't going to, that, that that was it. There was two things. Yeah, the, notion that that. Team, the notion that players won't sign with the Jets now, um, which I saw, I forget who it was. Someone commented on it and they made a really good point. And they basically said, you know, how long, how long have the Browns been atrocious? How long were the Raiders absolutely atrocious? And they signed free agents. If the money's there, guys are going to sign. Um, you know, the, the the bigger obstacle I think for years for the Jets getting a player was whether or not they had a you know a quarterback, especially if we're talking offensive players. Um, I think that's just a, that's just a, a you know again they're an easy target because they haven't won in forever. But I think if the money is right, guys are going to sign. But I think the 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 thing that bothered me the most was this um, this narrative now that. You know, Joe Douglas is in a bind because now teams know that they players know that they can shoot their way out of town. To which my reply is, yeah, certainly. Um, the way you shoot your way out of town is to be good enough to get us three premium picks, two of the first rounders, and a starting player who plays your position. So yes, there, there's you've unlocked the secret. Oh my goodness, what are the Jets going to do now? <laughs> the word is out. If teams are willing to give up two ones, a three, and a starter in your spot, the Jets will trade you. Who won't trade you? I, I saw a, across the board, even people who loved him, Colin Cowherd, you know, who I'm, he's a, kind of a clown, but he was a guy who just a couple weeks ago was blasting the Jets for not re-signing Jamal Adams. But what? But even in doing that, what did Colin Cowherd do? He cherry picked. I watched this segment. He sat there and he said. Look at all these players who make $10 million a year or more with the Cleveland Browns, and they still had money to pay Jason Garrett. Or uh, uh, not Jason Garrett, Garrett, Miles Garrett. And then he says, and look at the Jets. They only, you know, like two guys that make $10 million. That The Jets only have these two guys, and they can't sign Jamal Adams. Leaves out the fact that they have seven or eight guys making nine point something. 
So really, you know, like let me know the let, let, let me know the true salary cap situation if you're going to criticize the team. How about point out the fact that you know teams as we've mentioned before, teams are looking at a potential. Well, they've they've resolved it now. They're saying next year's cap will not dip below 175. But for a lot of this process, yeah, it, was just, yep. it was it was only rumored that the cap would you know could drop up to 70 million. Uh, which we had talked about. And, and I got to tell you, Alex, I said, I, I don't know how long ago it was because I, I feel like Jamal Adams has been a primary topic of conversation every, every episode now for the past few months. Um, yeah. But, I, but I remember saying a few weeks ago with all this talk about, you know, Joe Douglas promised this and Joe Douglas said that. And I was just kind of like, have we not considered the fact that Joe Douglas might not mean what he's saying? That mm-hmm. Joe Douglas might realize that he has a phenomenal young player but one who could, again, and, and he would have been right, one who can net him some significant draft capital and who will be commanding, if you know, if, if the rumors out there are to, to be believed, he was going to be looking to make, you know, between 17 and $20 million a year. And, and, again, we talk about how Joe Douglas, you know, we're so happy to have him because he, he, he spent so many years under Ozzie Newsome. You go back and look at Ozzie Newsome's track record over the last 10, 15, 20 years, and see how many times he's taken a safety in the first round. See how many he's taken one of the in the in the in the top three rounds. Like Ozzie Newsom, who who Joe Douglas cut his teeth under, didn't prioritize safeties and didn't didn't waste premium draft picks on safeties. And I'd have to go back and look. I haven't looked that up. I don't think I don't think he's consistently had safeties, you know, or the top paid safeties in the NFL. Uh, Jamal Adams is a great player. I'm not saying he isn't. But I said a few weeks ago that Joe Douglas might just not mean it. I mean, from a public, you have to you have to protect yourself. What if you're Joe Douglas and you know deep down that you want to trade Jamal Adams because you believe he can bring back some draft capital, and and, and you're wrong, and, and the phone doesn't ring. You have to you have to have you have to put out a, a you know a, a front, you know openly. You have to say you want the guy to because. Because really the alternative isn't all that bad. If you can't trade the guy and you end up re-signing him, you've re-signed a potential Hall of Famer. Like, there, there's no downside. And that's kind of, you know, if you remember, Alex, the last time we talked about this, I said I was at the point where I didn't care. I said if they keep him, great. If they move him, great. Because I felt that if Joe Douglas moved him, he, w- he was only going to do it if he got adequate compensation. And he ended up getting adequate compensation. So um, yeah. I'm happy with the move. You know, and now, what are your thoughts, Alex, on this? Um, after the trade, the, I mean, this clearly had to have been leaked by the Jets. But Ian mm-hmm. Rappaport comes out and says that Jamal Adams, uh, the man who was so mortally wounded by the, the by the fact that the Jets answered the phone for that trade call last year from Dallas, may have, in fact, been orchestrated by Jamal Adams. Rappaport reporting that Adams was texting players on the Dallas Cowboys to tell them to let Jerry Jones know that Dallas was where he wanted to be. He did that. Dallas called to make it, make an offer. The Jets picked up the phone. No trade happened. And so now it appears that all the, uh, the, the over-emotional reaction from Jamal, where I don't know if he needed to seek counseling or how serious it got, but it was really, it may have very well been over the fact that he didn't get traded. He tried to orchestrate the thing himself and it didn't go down. So he was going to have to stay with the Jets where he did not want to be. 
Um, so he puts up this front that, you know, I, I need a few days. I might need a couple weeks before I'm ready to sit down and talk to the head coach and the GM because, because my trust has been betrayed because Bill Belichick would never trade Tom Brady, and I'm on Tom's level. Um, what are your thoughts on Jamal Sweet to the Cowboys players? That, that's very interesting because um, I had heard that, but I didn't get to see anything like write-ups about it or anything like that. And um, I thought that that was something that he was doing, you know, within the last couple of weeks. I didn't realize that was last year's no, um, this scenario. No, deadline. So, you know, that, that really, really um, put, you know, right now, it's like, how can you believe anything that this guy says, um, you know, about, you know, having, uh, being lied to and being insulted and being disrespected and, you know, a man looks me in the eyes and tells me one thing, and then he goes behind my back trying to make a deal. And it's very, very awkward, um, you know, and, 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 and I really like hearing that, to be quite honest with you. I, you know, I feel deceived, um, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, for me, being a man of what I think, you know, LOL, uh, having, having morals, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, lying is, uh, that 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 that's like you know crossing the line for me, and um, you know always try to be honest with everything in life, and you know if you're gonna do stuff like that and you're gonna be deceitful and lie, you know in today's day and age, um, you got to be careful what you do and what you say or how you conduct yourself out, you know, uh, in public with today's media and everything like that, you know, because the the truth will surface at some point, so. Uh, Really, really, uh, I don't know, it's kind of shady, I guess you could kind of say, of, of Jamal, because he got a lot of people um, divided, um, you know, since this October 2019 scenario. Um, the, there was a divide of people that said, you know what, the heck with this guy, let him go, trade him. I remember debating with people before the draft, somebody tweeting me saying, enjoy Jamal Adams for the next, like, you know, 24 hours because tomorrow he's going to be dealt during the, the draft. And, you know, that didn't happen. And Joe Douglas even said, I think, the day of or the day before the draft that uh, he has no intention of trading any players. But, you know, and, you know as he always says, if, you know, someone calls, I'm going to listen. So, um, and I know this because I went back and I, I wanted to listen to those press conferences during those times. And I, w- I went back and I listened to the uh, press conference after the October scenario when uh, Joe Douglas didn't have to address the media, but there was so much, you know, drama and, you know, leaking from the front office coming out. And it, he felt that he needed to uh, address the media and address the people and uh, speak his mind and, and, and explain his side, um, of what was going on within the front office. So listen to a lot of the things that, that Joe said and went back and I, I kind of watched the timeline of what Jamal was saying and, and everything like that. And I kind of put that back out there on Twitter um, because there was a lot of people um, that were under the impression, like you had alluded to before. And we talked about this weeks ago, if not months ago, um, everybody took his Joe Douglas's statement as this was going to happen like right here and now before uh, the 2020 season. And it was only Jamal was the one that said that in his, one of his last interviews um, before they, after week 17, you know, he, Jamal was the one that was expecting the deal to be done before the 2020 season. And then when Rich Samini asked him about that in the off season, he said, my status hasn't changed. The goal is to make Jamal a jet for life, but 
you know, he was pressed. And they said, are you going to do that now? Are you going to do that later? And he said, I'm focusing on the draft and I'm focusing on this and that. And, you know, when that time comes, I'll talk to Jamal's people and, you know, you guys will know when I know and more or less. So, but, um, yeah, yeah, really, really uh, intriguing to see how this whole thing's um, unfolding. And I'm sure more information as the weeks go by are probably going to come out because we know one thing about Jamal Adams, he loves to run his mouth. And I'm sure he's probably going to be, you know, throwing more, uh, dirt our way before it's all said and done and you know we'll have to deal with that when that comes to but yeah you know hearing your news that you're telling me now about the way he conducted himself uh, last year that that's uh, pretty deceitful is, is what I'm going to go with yeah that was like I said that was per Ian Rappaport he said uh, and uh, teammates apparently knew and about Ian it. doesn't he said, come out with stuff like that unless if he's sure yeah, that that's the thing. Um, if he's and, and something like that is, uh, you know, if, if that were if that were not true, that would that would kind of be slander. Um, you, you're right. really trashing a guy's reputation if he didn't do that. Um, so, I, I think it's completely. And Jamal believable. would be the first one to say, "I didn't say that." <laughs> Which I, I I think he said. I think he tweeted. There's been a lot of stuff said about me today that's not true. But um, but again, that that's some pretty harsh stuff to to because obviously again that would come from the Jets. Pardon me, that would come from the Jets. I, I think it's believable. We know he. I mean, listen, he made videos of himself this off season saying he's trying to get traded to Dallas. Why would we yeah. believe he wasn't trying to do it during the season? Uh, and yep. you know, it it doesn't matter now because it would be water under the bridge, Alex. But I had a thought uh, about a month or so ago when I went back and I was I was watching uh, Ryan Clark one of Jamal's friends on ESPN who he went to to ask him, he said, you know, go when you're on the air tonight, you know, announce that I want to be a cowboy. Um, and this was at the trade deadline as well, because, and I, and I said this at the time I wrote an article saying it, players are savvy. This stuff doesn't happen by accident. You don't accidentally go on the air and happen to mention that your friend who is currently in the league, who you spoke to earlier tonight would like to go play for team X. That doesn't happen without a guy saying, Hey man, you know, mention this tonight on the air. Um, but it, it made me want. I wondered aloud. Uh, about I think it was about a month ago, because when I went back and watched, I'd forgotten if you were, if you recall, Alex. Uh, this I think the day after when no trade happened, uh, same guy Ryan Clark, Jamal's buddy, doing some of his bidding for him, went on ESPN, uh, one of their morning shows and said the Jets need to be making some phone calls to try to trade Sam Darnold, that Jamal Adams works too hard to trade. If the Jets are going to trade anybody, it needs to be Sam Darnold. So I can't help but wonder if there was a little bit of jealousy there on Jamal's part with Sam being, you know, really those two guys were the face of the franchise, which was kind of ideal. One guy on offense, one guy on defense, uh, both young guys that you want to build around. And all of a sudden, Jamal has his buddy go on TV to say, trade me. And then when that doesn't happen, his buddy comes on TV the next day and says they need to trade Sam Darnold. Um, you, you know, what kind of idiot says he trade a 22-year-old quarterback in the middle of his second season, having just come back from mono? Um, it, it's, you've got to be a complete maniac. But um, I don't know. It, it's purely speculative on my part, of course. But, boy, that would be one heck of a coincidence if uh, Ryan Clark was, was repeating what Jamal Adams wanted him to say one day and then, you know, not 24 hours later, saying that the Jets should trade Sam Darnold. 
Um, and I looked it up, by the way, Alex. The last time, at least as far as I can see, I may have missed one. Last time Ozzie Newsom took a safety in the first round was seven years ago, uh, 2013, with the 32nd pick. And other than that, going back, I'm back at 2012. No other safeties in the top three picks, four, not even the top four picks. It's just not something wow. that uh, that Baltimore does. It's not a it's not a position they value. So, as I said, and as I said on the show last week or a few weeks ago, because you know everyone kept saying Joe Douglas said, Joe Douglas said, and I just kind of said, is it is there a chance he's just saying it and he doesn't mean it? Um, I don't know. Something something about Jamal's reported price, uh, reported asking price, which was said to be between seventeen and twenty million. I just thought I don't I don't think Joe Douglas is going to want to do this. And we said, Alex, I, I what did you say? I, I know when we talked about it might have been after the Dallas thing after he said I'm trying to get traded there. I think I said I put the chances of him getting traded at eighty percent. Um, at that point, and that was before he went scorched earth and went to the Daily News and said Gase is incompetent and Douglas is a liar. Um, so for people who think that a player is going to be able to say all that and still not get traded, um, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know what the other thing is, uh, that I want to add to that, um, which is kind of, you know, who knows how you're going to take it, but uh, not really seeing too many players uh, kind of being vocal and, um, you know, wishing him, him luck or, you know, things like that. Like I know some people um, communicate with him on Instagram, but, you know, normally like, you know, Twitter's kind of where the main hub is for, for some of the Jets information and, and the drama, but not really seeing a lot of people, uh, you know, Besides Le'Veon Bell, um, which is something that maybe we can we can talk about too, because yeah. uh, looks like yeah. they had a little rift as well. But yeah. not a lot of people um, went out there and said, "Hey, man, you know, best of luck. This and that go to you. You know, um, you know, L- not, love, we, we, we didn't see the outpouring. So, you know, we didn't see the I outpouring get the of support. That um, yeah. Now maybe some of these guys are like, you know what? We're going to still be great without you. You know that that's the new challenge. Um, and that's what I kind of kind of feel like this mentality is going to be, you know, because I know that the narrative is going to be with the meet, some of the guys in the media, you know, can the Jets defense still be good without 33? And, you know, my opinion is we still got Greg Williams in house. And as long as that guy is calling the shots and drawing up the scheme, I'm confident that this defense is still going to be great. Um, would it be better with Jamal Adams? Absolutely. But I, I still feel confident that, um, you know, Greg Williams is going to figure out a way um, to work with some of these young, hungry players and, and, and still be dominant like we were down the, you know, second half of the year. Yeah, and the and the other thing, Alex, um, I meant to mention was the drafting of Ashton Davis. You know, taking yeah, a safety in the right. third round. And and I'll say, uh, on w- the moment that pick was announced, I was pissed off. I wanted to throw something. I thought the last thing this team needs is a safety. Even if he is going to replace Marcus May, that's next year. Get a safety next year. Get a free agent safety. Um, and everything I was reading, because as I said, I, I, I was 100% honest. I said I, I did no homework on safeties this year. I just, in my mind, they weren't taking a safety in any round at any point. Um, so yeah. I knew very little. I knew nothing about Ashton Davis coming into the draft. And 
I start reading the scouting reports after they draft him just to kind of get an idea. And it's a lot of talk about, you know, center fielder this, center fielder that. But then I, I, I watch a couple of his games, and he played a fair bit around the line of scrimmage. Not, yeah. you know, not, not the way Jamal did. But I'm watching him make plays at around the line of scrimmage, deep down the field, um, covering a ton of ground from a deep safety spot to come up and make plays on the ball. And I'm just watching and thinking, now, no, this guy doesn't have the, the same thud that Jamal has. You know, Jamal's probably got an extra 10, 12 pounds of muscle, you know, where he's, you know, he's, he's going to make he's going to make his presence felt a lot more than Ashton Davis is. But I still looked at it and thought this guy might be able to do some of the things Jamal can do. And now the trade of Jamal makes me think it even more so about did Joe Douglas really think he was going to keep Jamal Adams as much as he said it. And, you know, and, and the timing of it, you know, with the and we mentioned that I would mentioned that you'd mentioned it uh, and you and you said it, you know, earlier. Jamal was the only one saying that he, the deal was supposed to happen now. Joe Douglas never once said, I'm going to get him signed long term and it's going to happen. But Joe Douglas actually said what I suggested the Jets may have been thinking, which was, let's let's do free agency. Let's do the draft and then we'll address Jamal. Well, between, you know, once the draft hit and you start signing your, your rookies or, or looking to get them signed, all of a sudden COVID hits. And they tell you the cap might drop seventy million, so things change right. pretty dramatically. Um, and I mean, I, I think and we've we know covered that, it enough, really. What's the, that? The budget apparently, you know, from I think it was Manish who had put out that story uh, that, that Chris Johnson gave a uh, tight budget and you know put the choke collar on on Joe Douglas on on how much money he could throw at certain players. So you know he was a little handicapped or handcuffed, I should say on how much money he could spend. And theoretically, Joe Douglas did extend Jamal Adams by picking up his fifth-year option on his rookie contract. So, you know, you can <laughs> we can go back and forth with this on, on, you know, who was right, who was wrong, and who did what, who didn't. But, you know, Joe probably could say, I picked up your option. Um, I told him that we were going to work on something. I didn't tell him when, you know, yeah. and not knowing what the future holds. You know, why is, why is this, you know, all of a sudden become all about Jamal and it's not about the team? Uh, you know, and, and he said that he won't, I want players that want to be here. I want guys in the right mindset that are going to, you know, be, be positive and, and help this team go after the ultimate goal, which is the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, listen, I, I think we've spent enough time talking about Jamal. He's gone. Just as I said, wanted to get your opinion because you weren't uh, you you were on your way out when that deal went down, and just you know I, I knew you'd want to have your say. The the guy's gone. The Jets now are in position. I mean, Alex, I don't know about you, but I'm you know training camp open and I'm I'm already peeking at the draft prospects because a uh, <laughs> you know hold, hold hold on to your hats. I I don't think the Jets are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah. So. You know, again, looking at how tough the schedule is, um, my, you know, my personal lack of faith in Adam Gase, I'm looking at this like it's a five or six win season, but this team's got 10 picks and five in the top hundred. And I'll tell you what, Alex, I know we, I, I, I shot you a tweet the other day or shot you a message the other day. Which the, no, no updates as of yet, folks. But for those of you who missed it a week or two ago, Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russ Wilson did indicate mm-hmm. 
that he had some concerns about COVID with his wife being pregnant. She has since given birth. Um, she has a baby at home, and I know at least one player yesterday opted out for the season. Was it Hightower? I forget who. Somebody who opted out for oh. the year opted out because Patriots he's dropping like flies. They are. They are. Um, yeah. I think but someone opted Chung out. Was another one. Was a big one. Yeah, Patrick Young. Yeah, uh, Cannon. The the O lineman was another. Um, but Russell Wilson has had indicated that he had some concerns because his wife just had a baby and you know, implications with COVID and, and kids is, you know, mortality rates extremely low, but no one knows the long-term effects, this, that, and the other. Could you imagine, Alex, if if Russ Wilson announced tomorrow, players have up to seven days to announce their intentions to opt out. Can you imagine if in the next four, five, six days, Russ Wilson says, I'm not playing this year. Could you, the Seahawks would flip that they will have given up a top five pick. Well, top ten, at worst, if not top five. The Jets could be sitting there with a, you know, with pick eight and pick fourteen, come draft time. I mean, that, that you know, that, that's getting way ahead of ourselves. But could you imagine that, Alex? If Russell Wilson says, "Going to do what's right <laughs> for my family." The quarterback would be <laughs> Geno. Our old buddy Geno Smith. <laughs> Geno Smith, a legend in his own mind. <laughs> oh my God! How great I mean, would it be if Geno if Geno Smith delivered side, a top five pick? What's that? You know, I I'm, I I side with all these players. You know, we know nothing about their families. We know nothing about the their genetics and their history. And you know, in their circle, you know, who could be, uh, you know, one of the people that are at risk due to health concerns. So we really, really can't just, you know. Um, oh, absolutely. absolutely. You, know, I, you don't I, say anything bad about these guys. You know, I saw Marquise Goodwin yesterday getting a little bit of slack, and I thought that was a little uncalled for. But, you know, that's what people do on social media behind their, their, their keyboards. But, yeah, you know, listen, we, don't, if, we don't know these guys' walk of life and what they have to deal with and what's in their inner circle. And, you know, at, at this point, family's first. And, you know, uh, if, if Russell Wilson feels that it's the best thing for him to do to not risk his family and not risk his new, uh, the new baby that he's had, and, you know, clearly this guy has made a lot of money, you know, he's been to a couple Super Bowls. I mean, wh- why take the risk, in my opinion? So um, it's an interesting thing. Um, if that happens, it'll, it'll kind of be, you know, a little bit of karma for on Jamal, you know, because – Joe Douglas did him a solid and sent him to one of the places apparently that he was comfortable going to as well. So, you know, there's that too. Yeah. Listen, if you're giving any player a hard time on social media about them not taking part because of COVID, just go away. Like, like, yeah, go away. Go scrub your toilet. Do something productive. All of your social media accounts, just shut them down. Go read a book. Um, Listen, and I, I said this the other day, that we don't know, and I'm surprised it hasn't been talked about more, Alex, and, and I saw it finally tweeted out yesterday by an ESPN reporter, but the way she did it, may it was to me, was somewhat misleading. Uh, basically, my point was, for offensive linemen, especially offensive linemen, they tend to be your bigger fellows, and some of your interior D linemen, um, obesity is a huge factor in the mortality rate for this thing. It's, it's basically an underlying condition. You can say, 
I'm a 28-year-old guy. I have no conditions. I don't have diabetes. I don't have heart disease. I don't have this. I don't... If you have obesity, you have something in terms of underlying conditions. That is a huge yeah. factor in mortality. However, the first time I saw it really acknowledged or addressed yesterday, I forget the name of the reporter. I actually saw – I only saw it because someone else I know commented on it. Um, I don't follow the reporter myself. But she said over 70% of NFL players have a BMI that would put them at risk, to which I think that's, that's kind of playing with the numbers a little bit because, to me, BMI doesn't mean you're fat. And I'm sure NFL guys, just based on their muscle mass, are way over in terms of if you just look at you know, height and weight. You know, got, there are guys who are at a weight that if it's the average, you know, Joe Blow, they're like, you know, 34% body fat. Whereas you can have a BMI that's high and a body fat that's low if you're just, you know, built like some of these animals are. These guys are freaking, like J.J. Watt, like I'll, if you look at his height and weight, he's probably borderline obese, but the guy's not fat. You know, so it, it's the sort of the obese, unhealthy at least, you know, again, I, I actually spoke with uh, my doctor about uh, COVID stuff, and I'm, I'm overweight as hell. So my doctor told me, like, I was like, hey, what, you know, this is back when I thought I might have had it. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm worried because I have hypertension. He was like, dude, I'm more worried about you being big than I'm worried about your hypertension. And he said to me, he said, my wife's working in an ICU right now. This people is killing fat men. Like, fat dudes are, like, one of the biggest demos that are killing, that is, who are dying of this. So... I think the BMI number is a little bit misleading, but at the same time, there are going to be some guys in the league who are classed as obese. And, uh, and, and remember, it's, it's, it, you double down on that when you talk about being African-American. You know, they're saying that it's, it's you know, as I said, it's, it's killing fat guys, but it's killing elderly, it's killing people with underlying conditions, and black people are not doing well with this disease. So if you're, if you're overweight, and you're and you're a black guy and you're playing in the NFL. I have I mean I have no problem with anybody opting out, but especially people who are, you know, looking at two or three different factors where the mortality rate because the mortality rate, Alex, among the general public, for people who aren't ill, um, and who are under forty years old, is zero point two percent. It's 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 damn near nil. So I, I get that. If you're you know, young, healthy dude and you want to play. But if you're if you have some issues, you know, guys in the league are diabetic. You know, there are guys in the league. You better believe there's some guys in the league with high blood pressure. So, and and they're, I'm sure, as you mentioned, you know, family. We don't know what their family background is. We don't know who lives at home with them. Yep. So judging these guys based on that stuff on on not playing, um, is absolutely nuts in my opinion. I think you got to draw a line somewhere and, and realize that, you know, these guys have to put their families first. And, uh, Alex, you shot me a tweet right before we went on the air. What was that about? Go ahead and break that down for us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we saw some reports come out today on Twitter with a couple of uh, Jets yesterday and today um, opting out uh, due to, um, you know, possible COVID situations here. And um, Leo K, and I cannot pronounce his last name, um, it's uh it's a long one and it's a mouthful but you know he was a uh, depth guy um he decided you know I'm going to skip this year and and be safe 
Um, as we know, uh, Ahmad Goodman, uh, Gooden, sorry, um, also went on the uh, reserve slash COVID list. And uh, Jalen Moore, UDFA Appalachian State, you know, guy pounded the table for that I was kind of hoping would make the roster this year. Um, looks like the injuries have just kind of weighed down on this guy too long, and um, he's, he's walking away from the game. So, you know, there's just a couple people right there. Also, uh, Shaheem Carter, a UDFA that we had talked about, um, you know, some a bubble guy, a um, little versatility, you know, playing inside as a defensive back and a little safety play as well. Looks like he's going on the COVID-19 uh, IR list. And then um, something shocking as I was going through uh, Instagram, I saw a couple posts from um, Jordan Jenkins, and he put a uh, – little screenshot out there saying COVID test one and two, one negative for COVID, two positive for antibodies. And then he follows up with uh, an update. I def had the symptoms back in February when I was in Aspen. When I came back, I couldn't taste or smell for about a week and a half. And that is one of the indicators that they have said um, that if you are um, exposed uh that your, your smell and your taste are affected during this. So um, Jordan Jenkins more or less saying that, you know, he may not have been crazy, crazy sick, but it looks like he might have had it, and now he has the antibodies. So yeah, and uh, that's, quite interesting you know, that is... to see how that's going to unfold. Um, haven't really seen any breaking news on that, um, but I do see we, uh, we have a caller coming in here as well. Yeah, that's going to be Christian Dyer from Sports Illustrated calling in. I believe it is. Uh, let's see. Christian, is that you? It is. How are we doing, Christian? And all of a sudden, everyone begins clicking off the show as soon as they hear my voice. Oh, I, 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 Christian, no more than 60% of the audience. Well, listen, after I did the two-hour draft show uh, a, a couple weeks ago, you guys <laughs> owe me one. Much appreciated, Christian, as always. Nice. So, oh, by the way, that's uh, Leo Kolomatangi, I believe, is, is the pronunciation there, Alex. Uh, the center from Hawaii nice. who... Uh, he was on the active roster for seven weeks to, and to wrap up last season, had a chance to, to catch on as a depth piece this year. Uh, better run blocker than pass blocker, but he is going to sit out the season. Uh, and again, you can, to me, you can't question these guys doing that. Christian, what, what are your thoughts on people who are criticizing players who are opting out due to COVID? And break down for us, if you would. Uh, you had an excellent article today. I just put it on the I just broke it down a little bit on the JetNation.com front page on the, the Football Outsiders and their projections for Jets wins. And tell us, Christian, what happened to their projected win total for the Jets when Jamal Adams was traded to the Seattle Seahawks? Yeah, well, let, let's talk COVID-19 first so we can get that out of the way and, be, and begin talking about the stuff that uh, is a little bit of a distraction, right? I mean, you know, people have been Absolutely. going through so much, and, you know, it, we're, we're all over the world in terms of where this uh, conversation is taking place and, and people who are listening. And at the end of the day, we, we, we pray for health and we try to do the right things. And, uh, you know, um, I, I was talking with the Jets player a couple of days ago uh, over the weekend, and we are just talking about COVID and a couple of things. And he said, you know, I, I'm loading up on my blueberries. I'm eating my elderberries. I'm making sure I get more vitamin C. I'm, I'm out in the sun more. I'm doing vitamin D. And I mean, you know, those are all things that, that I've been doing. And I'm sure, you know, everyone's been kind of adjusting their diet and their nutritional intake and their programming in and, and different ways. So when you hear uh, of Hightower opting out and Chung on the Patriots and uh, Nate Solder with the Giants and, you know, the, the names we've heard, the one name with the Jets uh, so far, uh, 
you got, I think there has to be some understanding that uh, these guys are certainly giving up some things uh, to play the game of football. And we ask them to, to risk, uh, to a certain extent, life and limb so that we can cheer and we can have a distraction uh, 16 times a year and, and hopefully 17, 18, 19, 20 times a year as well um, for, for teams that go into the playoffs. So I, I don't think that uh, anyone, especially uh, we've he- heard so many of these players have young families, uh, there may be health concerns in the family, or just simply don't feel comfortable for whatever reason uh, should have the right to do this. And, and I don't think they should be criticized for it, um, nor do I think that they should pressure other players. And this is a very personal decision, much like retirement, much like playing the game. Is. And I think for the most part, it's been handled well. Um, I think the Jets should probably be applauded and commended for kind of pushing back on the testing to make, to make sure that everything was right inside their facility, that they were able to do it the right way, not rushing into things. We've seen what rushing into things has done uh, on both ends of the spectrum here in this debate uh, in the country. So uh, that's a very long answer to say I, I don't think that anyone um, should be necessarily ostracized or raked over the coals for something that's a very personal decision about health. And uh, we also don't know what type of family pressures some of these individual players may be feeling. And I'm sure a number of them are probably angering family members, whether it's uh, a spouse uh, or, or uh, a parent of some sort who may not want them to play, but they feel the urge because of finances or, or limited opportunities or career trajectory that they need to be on the field this year. Um, to answer now the second question, which is a complete 180 from what we were just talking about, maybe that's a good thing. Uh, I had Absolutely. the opportunity to talk. I had the opportunity to talk with uh, some people over at Football Outsiders, uh, which if, if you know you haven't signed up for the Almanac, go out there and get it. Buy it off Amazon. Uh, make sure that it is part of what you have for your preseason reading. We don't have preseason games to distract us this year, so uh, set aside that time. It's always a great resource and. I just asked them about the projections of, of what the Jamal Adams trade does uh, in terms of the outlook for the jet season and football outsiders is one of those websites and, and um, resources that's more spot on than most in terms of projections and analytics. They were the first one to really develop it in the game of football and uh, they've really perfected it. And they had the jets originally pegged at 7.4 wins. Now they tend to be very conservative. There's not a huge range of, uh, you know, teams with three wins and, and then a team with 13 or 14. Most teams are clustered right around 500. Um, but at the end of the day, they had the Jets at 7.4 wins. And then with Jamal Adams, I thought, well, you know, you're trading away your best player. We're hearing a lot of doom and gloom. Well, what, what is this going to be? 6.4 wins? Are they going to are they going to lose uh, one full game? Is it going to be 5.4? You know, given how instrumental and impactful Adams was for the Jets last year. And they said, nope, it goes from 7.4 wins to 7.2. Uh, the Seahawks go from, uh, I believe it was 8.2 to 8.4. They already had the Seahawks as, as the top team in the NFC West. So uh, I was a little surprised by that. Uh, but then at the end of the day, I also think that this Jets team is better than people are giving them credit for. Uh, I think it's a more balanced team. If you look at the fact that this team was 7-9 and nine a year ago, and I think they've improved considerably on the offensive line. It's not elite, uh, but, but it, it's certainly a serviceable offensive line. I think you can make the argument 
at wide receiver. Wide receiver, they did a like-for-like like with Rashad Perryman replacing Robbie Anderson. Um, I think you can say Denzel Mims is going to be an upgrade, a third wide receiver over uh, anyone they'd be able to trot out there consistently. I think the defensive side of the ball, uh, with the exception of the Adams move, uh, is back for another year. Greg Williams has shown that he's resilient uh, when he loses half of his starting 11 uh, week in, week out due to injuries or suspensions. Uh, the return of Mosley is going to be big. So I think there's a lot of reasons why this Jets roster is better and deeper. Now they have a tougher schedule, uh, and I've always argued that the uh, team may be better, but the record might be a little bit worse this year. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, Football Outsiders kind of backs up what Adam Gase and Joe Douglas are saying is that, uh, you know, this team may be a marginally worse, but we're, I, we're not looking at a situation where they're going to go 0 and 16 either, at least according to the projections. Yeah, and I think part of what, as you'd mentioned, or what they said was um, the fact that they got a starting player back who plays that position obviously offsets the loss. It's not as if they just they got rid of a starting player and now have a, a, a black hole there without a starting, you know, without a proven player to step in in that spot. So that's obviously um, – I, 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 I see where they're coming from, and I, and I, I – I agree with what you're saying, Christian, because I've said it a few times this offseason that this could be one of those cases where the talent on a roster gets better, but the record doesn't necessarily do the same. Um, do I mean, if you look at last year's schedule, as we've discussed previously, um, you know, they didn't go any far. You know, their, their longest road trip was Washington, or, you know, that's as far west as they went. They didn't leave the East Coast. Much different story this year. They have some long road trips. Uh, I know at one point Joe Douglas put in the request they're going to stay out west and play back-to-back games on the West Coast. I think tougher schedule, more travel could offset some of the improvements they made. But what do you think, Christian, your expectations for – and it's, it, we'll, we'll let you go after this. We just want to get your thoughts. Year three of Sam Darnold, as you said, with the improved weapons. Of course, if Chris Herndon is back healthy, I've, I've said I think that's the biggest factor on offense for this team outside of the O-line. What do you expect from Darnold in year three? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I think this is a team where you look at the basement, and I'm probably going to get in some trouble for this, um, but when you look at the basement in terms of win total, I, I think the basement's five wins. That's, uh, you know, if the <laughs> they run up against kind of a murderer's row towards the second half of the year in terms of the schedule, uh, three trips out to the West Coast, the back-to-back weeks out in the West Coast, uh, certainly can make for a challenge. Um, you know, unusual with the way the Dolphins are set up, sandwiching either end of the bye. Uh, it was not a favorable schedule for the Jets by, by any stretch. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I do think that, they, that there are some winnable games out there. Uh, you know, I think Miami's an improved team, but I think the Jets are an improved team, too. I think that they can uh, get a win or two here in the division more than they've been getting the past few years. Uh, there are some vulnerable teams out there, and you know, the Jets had just about <laughs> as much bad luck as a team could have in 2019 and still went 7-9. and nine. They won a lot of games against some, against some cream puffs in the second half of the season, but, uh, you know, they also lost some games early on in the year. You, you look at week one and how that was a winnable game against a Buffalo. Bills team uh, that end up going to the playoffs and is now projected to be the favorites in the division. So uh, I do think that it's it's feasible to think this team could be six, seven wins uh, if things break the right way and Darnold
Cardinal progresses. I think it, there's potential there to be an eight-win team. Um, I don't see them being a nine-win team necessarily. But I think that window is kind of between five to eight wins uh, realistically. And I'm always one of those that uh, if your team's not going to make the playoffs, you, you root for the lower so you can get the better draft pick because that can go a long way towards the rebuild. And, uh, you know, if Sam Darnold is able to do what he's supposed to do and, and take that next step and be steady, um, I'm not sure if anyone expects him with the weapons that he has uh, and an offensive line that's still very much growing, developing, and in flux, uh, if he's going to take this massive leap and, be, and become a Tier 2 quarterback. But if he can be a steady quarterback uh, who continues to cut down on turnovers, uh, another year in the offense, if he can show something uh, a step forward from what he did, I'm not saying even the second half, of the year when, when he was lights out against that lighter schedule, but kind of a blend between what the first half of the year was and the second half of the year and show that consistently against a very tough schedule. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, uh, you've got some good building blocks there. And I think you also have something you can sell to free agents too. Donald is young. He's, he's one of the, I believe he is the youngest third year quarterback in the league. Uh, I tried to run some rough numbers on that, but, and I'm not a hundred percent sure, but uh, that's certainly a selling point when you look at the fact that uh, by age, he should probably be entering year two uh, by age. He could well be a rookie as well. Uh, given Absolutely. that a lot of co- college quarterbacks uh, coming out are, uh, spend a fifth year, uh, you know, they go off and graduate. I think he's, I think he's still the youngest quarterback in the division, if I'm not mistaken. He he is, um, assuming that Tua, um, you know, does not start week one. He he would he would be the youngest quarterback in the division. So there's a lot of reasons to think that this year is really about setting up for 2021 when you're going to have more cap space. Uh, you know, potentially another pick in or around the top ten. Uh, that second pick in the first round, another pick in the third round, uh, it, it gives a lot of chances to be flexible. I think the Jets, you know, if they if they go six and ten, but they're in every game and they're not getting blown out, and you don't have uh, the situations like you did with the Patriots at home, um, where, where you just kind of get the sense that the team doesn't have talent. Um, I think you got a real sense that this team could be ready to build and, and take off. Um, in 2021 in terms of being ready to be a playoff contender. All right, that is Christian Dyer from Sports Illustrated. Christian, thanks so much for joining us as usual. Uh, Take care, guys. Everyone be safe, and thanks for having me on. Thanks, Christian. Be well, bud. Take care. All right, so Alex, we're not going to get too big. We're not going to get too big into predictions, but, uh, you know, some of Christian's comments got me thinking. About, you know, that's having a, said earlier. touchy comment there, talking about Sam Darnold these days. <laughs> What's that? No, listen, I don't, uh, uh, a lot of people are down on Sam Darnold. A lot of people are, you know, you know, he needs to show this, he needs to show that. And everybody's talking about him like he's a guy who's played behind uh, the same offensive line that Mark Sanchez had when he used to have 15 minutes to make the throw. Uh, you know, the, right. the film shows it, the numbers show it. I believe he was pressured on... 42% of his dropbacks, which was number one in the NFL. Um, so you combine uh, more pressure than any quarterback in the NFL with less than adequate weapons, and the kid throws 14 touchdowns and five interceptions over the last uh, seven, eight games of the year, and people are like, oh, this guy might be the problem. We we might need a new quarterback. I already see, oh, thank God we got these picks with Jamal, and now we can trade up and draft the quarterback. Um, yeah. I, I don't – I think people sometimes – I don't know if it's the fantasy football effect. Um, if if I can right, draft right. a guy – if I can draft a guy who can throw 48 touchdowns, then that must mean Darnold sucks. 
Um, right, it, whether right. It's the, yeah. Whether it's the fantasy football thing or people are just looking at stats in a vacuum as if every single guy has the same blocking and the same scheme and the same receivers. Uh, it's just not the case. And so his bad rating isn't that good. So Yeah, know. exactly. Well, there you go. That's that, about that, as scientific. That trumps overall. That's as scientific <laughs> as it gets right there. I know that he uh, – I looked it up a couple weeks ago among the quarterbacks. He was top 10 in the NFL in completion percent, or sorry, in adjusted completion percentage per PFF, which basically adjusted completion percentage. They take out, they take out your throwaways. They, they count your drop passes as completions, things like that. Basically how often was the ball on target and on time. And for Sam Darnold, he was ninth in the NFL, despite the fact that he was pressured more than any quarterback in the, in the league. So, people who are giving up on this kid because his supporting cast has been atrocious. Coaching has been questionable. Uh, and, and that, that was my thing, Alex, with, with saying earlier that I'm, I'm saying five or six wins for this team. And I did tweet this out a few weeks ago, maybe even a couple months ago. I don't even remember anymore that the, the one thing that makes me think this, this team could, as Christian said, you know, Christian said, he thinks the ceiling is eight wins. Um, I wouldn't disagree with that. If, you know, if we're going to say floor ceiling, I would say between five and nine wins only because it's going to come down to Greg Williams, because as good as the defense was last year, if he gets Williamson and Mosley back and that defense is at least, you know, top 10, let's say with the tougher schedule, if you feel the top 10 defense and the offensive line is, has been solidified again, not, you know, not great. And, and we don't know for sure, you know, assuming that Becton is at least adequate you know, by, by adding McGovern, by adding Becton, and, and, and you know, Fant and Adoga will battle it out for a job. You know, the O-line, you know, there's no reason it shouldn't be middle of the pack and hopefully trending toward top of the pack. But if you have a middle of the pack O-line, that's a lot more time for Sam Darnold. That's hopefully Chris Herndon returning healthy and a Greg Williams defense if they finish in the top 10. Then I – listen – Eight, nine wins isn't out of the question if that happens. But I, the reason I'm saying five or six, and that's today. We'll do a prediction show before the season starts. I'm saying yeah. five or six because I just can't see the Jets catching as many breaks. Not even catching breaks so much as just nothing going catastrophically wrong um, in terms of injuries and things like that. But uh, we got a couple seconds left, Alex. What, what are your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, what, where do you see, you know, sitting here today? What's the floor for this team? What's the ceiling? And what are some of the bigger factors? And we'll, at a later show, sometime in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll do a deep dive on this stuff, on expectations for, for players and position groups and records and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I think when I, we were talking about this, you know, the effects of Jamal Adams and things like that, um, you know, I was saying the ceiling for this team would be nine wins with Jamal Adams on here. Without Jamal Adams, maybe the ceiling's more towards seven. Um, we might be looking at a six and ten season. So right now I'm probably right around the six to seven um area and you know, if all the stars align and you know, something that I, I'd like to get into, you know, as we get closer to week one, um, talking about, you know, the uh the uh you know, how how quickly can this offensive line gel and how quickly can they come together and work together as a unit because, you know, last year as we talked about at length, you know, a lot of the problems were up front in the trenches. Um 
So, you know, these guys don't have preseason games to work out their kinks and things like that. And, you know, now it's really, really going to be important for these guys to get those mental reps um, and communicate with each other because we saw a lot of struggles on the offensive line with communication and things like that last year. Um, And plus, you know, looking at it, we have one legit starter in McGovern, um, some potential in in a mammoth of a man and a rookie tackle in Becton. And then the other three spots, the two guards and the right tackle, were really unsure. Um, Fant has been primarily a backup, but we're assuming he's going to start at right tackle. Brian Winters is still on the team, so we know how that goes. Um, But I I will say this. I am more confident with the second tier of our offensive line than I was last year. Um, You know, because we do have bodies in there. Cameron Clark, I think, is about potential. So, um, I'm a little concerned with the offensive line and, and, you know, for you, you know, you were saying that the big factor now is going to be Greg Williams, which Mo Adams being gone. Um, I definitely agree with that, but I also feel that, you know, this team's success will be um, heavily on what can the offense do? Um, you know, can we get Le'Veon Bell back to that 2017 form? Um, he's in great shape. He's busting his hump every day. Um, I think he's in a place to where now, um, since he had such a down year, now he wants to prove to himself and prove to everybody that he can be back to that that elite level. So take the good with the bad, I guess you could say here. I'm excited to see what he has in store for us. Um, And, you know, how how quickly can can Adam Gase get, get this offense rolling? You know, Sam feels more confident going into year two of the same program. So those are good positive things. But, uh, you know, this new pandemic world that we live in has is, is changed a lot as far as these guys not being able to, you know, do the OTAs and working out and doing the kinks and all that crap. So um, right now my, my prediction is not very high. Um, I'd have them at, at below 500 at this point in time, but we don't know what the rosters are going to look like come week eight and, and beyond that, you know, um, as we know um, with this virus, things are going to change guys are going to get sick just like you've seen in with the MLB and and the Marlins and you know for an example and um, you know anything can change and by week by week these rosters are going to be adjusted so um, today I I could see them pulling out seven wins um, with a max potential of nine Uh, but you know obviously things go south that you could be more toward where you were saying that five to six margin. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw it today. I think it was Bob Wischusen sent out a, a string of tweets um, off topic somewhat, but in terms of the COVID thing and, and what's going on with the Marlins, that was apparently the players were going out clubbing um, when they weren't playing baseball. So, you know, Bob Wischusen was bringing up the point, the, these guys aren't getting COVID because the, these guys aren't getting COVID because they're playing sports. <laughs> they're, they're getting COVID because of what they're doing when they aren't playing sports. So um, interesting take there. So we'll see what happens. Uh, before we go, Jet Nation Radio would like to thank our sponsor, Mile Social, for help running all the different platforms for your, social media platforms for your business. Check out milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E social.com. Whether it's your Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it may be, Mile Social has got you covered. Again, that's milesocial.com, M-I-L-E social.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Alex, great having you back on, and uh, we look forward to catching you next week, Jet Nation. Likewise. And thank you, Christian Dyer, for giving us your time. And everyone Jet Nation, have a good night. See you next week. 
thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!